you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons limited series. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. What have you got? As your partner said, succession is usually simple. But right now, the hierarchy's in chaos. So many dead are MIA. I need someone. I don't care who. As long as they can get us the Turian resources we need. I'm on it, Shepard. We'll find you the Primarch. Garrus! Vicarian, sir. I didn't see you arrive. At ease, General. Good to see you again. I thought you'd be on Palavan. If we lose this moon, we lose Palavan. I'm the closest damn thing we have to an expert on Reaper forces, so I'm... advising. James, this is Garrus Vicarian. He helped me stop the Collectors. He's a hell of a soldier. Hello and welcome to Squad Goals, a Mass Effect Legendary Edition podcast, where we're discussing our experiences playing through the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. My name is Nick Zelenkevich, and I'm joined by Chip Locke. Howdy, Space Cowboys. And Corey Kurabara Treadway. Greetings from space. And this is episode number 46. And today we are going to Manet, the moon of Palavin. Uh, because uh, as we talked about last time, we want to convene a summit of the various uh, racial leaders or alien species leaders. Uh, so we're going to start by going to get the uh, start by going to get the the uh, what's 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 the the t- uh, I can't remember is it Primarch yeah it's Primarch Primarch right mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on that yeah, Primarch Prim- Prim- Primarch Fedorian I believe is his name uh, we're going to get him we were told specifically by the uh, the Turian counselor back on the Citadel go get this guy and then you can start you know he'll be like the first piece you need to get the meeting started so get him get your stuff in order. So and we let's saw he hear was wearing a fedora, and we didn't like him, you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you know, it'd have to be custom made to fit around those frills, right? It would, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's hear about what happens when we go to uh, recruit Primarch Fedorian for our little uh, galactic assembly. Shepard, James, and Liara head to Manet, Moon of Palavin, Turian homeworld which is under assault by the Reapers. They clear the landing zone of husks and drop out of the shuttle and traverse the rocky landscape as they can see reapers in the background. Palavin is burning. They meet up with General Corinthus, who tells them that Primarch Fedorian is dead, and they will have to locate and retrieve the new Primarch, Victus. The squad repairs a radio tower and fights off some husks and returns to the general. They are also greeted by Garrus, who is advising the Turian military with his reaper fighting experience. Liara returns to the Normandy to address some problems that Edie is having, and Shepard, Garrus, and James head out to find Victus. After fighting through Reaper forces, they locate him and convince him to come along on the Normandy. Everyone heads back to the ship, and Edie suddenly goes offline. Shepard heads to the AI core room where there is a fire, but out of the smoke emerges Edie in the body of the robot Dr. Eva Corre. Edie explains that the robot was trying to hack her, she hacked back and took control, and now she's a full-fledged party member who can join the team on missions. So Garrus is back. 
assuming he survived this i i feel like a lot of what we're going to be talking about for this entire mass effect 3 is this all assumes several of these characters survived mass effect 2 if anybody died in mass effect 2 we'll probably talk about at some point uh who the replacements are when they did die but for this in the, for this instance we all had garris survive mass effect 2 and garris is back in our party as of mass effect 3 now can't, can't think of any time i'd ever allowed garris to die because i'm like nope nope garris has to live uh- we're screwed usually, up. I'm safe scumming that. Yeah, I usually know who the replacement is. I think this might be one where you just you don't get a replacement, Garrus. No, I think uh, his dialogue is given to the other Turians. Yeah, yeah, and like if he's dead, like he's just dead, and you just don't get him as a squad member. But, but it's so awesome that he's alive. Oh yeah, because I mean. On the one hand, you're there among the Tyrians, and you're kind of wondering. Well, I mean, even then, like Liara, Liara alludes to Garrus when you know they're looking at the bombing on Palavin, and they're like, "Oh crap, we have a friend over there." And it's like, <laughs> you're like, "Okay, I hope I hope we're gonna go down on a rescue mission to get him or something." Oh, I I guess I didn't even remember that her saying that. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, one of that's one of the nice things that they do in Mass Effect Three is that they give you these little like dialogue snippets in the shuttle on the way to the mission. Mm-hmm. Like they've really expanded out the ability to like, to, to feel more involved with the crew. I mean, if you think about like mass effect one, it's like, you know, you go, you go, you get your little loading scene. You're on the planet. You're in the, or you're not even on the planet. You're just in the Mako and you drive around the Mako and then you get to the, you know, you get to wherever the base is, you get out, you, you run in you do your mission, you, you get out and leave. Yeah. Um, your squad members you know, it, have the same dialogue line on every planet you're on. Pretty much. Set of dialogues. Like they, I think they all have like your four, three or four lines, something like that. Yeah. Sometimes I forget it's, they're with me. <laughs> exactly. No, it feels very basic for a video game. Like they were focused more on getting the, you know, just getting the basics of combat and everything. And now they're like, okay, like we can really flesh out the narrative around that. Um, and yeah, I mean, even then there's the, there's one part. Uh, I don't know if it's this mission or I think it might be, or no, it's, I know it is, I, I, I think, or no, it's, it's either this mission or, or the next one we're going to talk about. Um, but like Cortez, who, you know, we've talked about as a crew member on the Normandy, he's down in the armory. He's also in the shuttle cause he's the shuttle pilot and he takes part in these conversations. Like, you know, uh, the, the one thing I'm thinking he has a line of dialogue where he's like, Oh, um, you know, I'll try to get you as close as I can or whatever. And Shepard's like, I appreciate that. He's like all part of the package commander. Like it's very, very business-like, but at the same time, it's a, it's a nice little touch. Well, it's also nice because like Cortez, like my about Cortez is, um, he's not a main crew member. He's not like anybody who really like squads up with you usually. He's your pilot, but he actually speaks his time. You've had pilots who've run the other ships, been with you, that barely say a word who if they're not Joker. Did we have pilots? I feel like Shepard piloted the other times. Like, no, no, when they, everybody they, piled see, into the the one shuttle uh, before the uh, collector invasion, like I just imagine like Shepard like driving a minivan with like twelve seats for the crew right. in the back and just telling them all to shut up. <laughs> no, there's someone else who flies because like they come pick you up. You're always had to jump into the shuttle. That's true. That's and true. And there's like usually, usually like remember like you're, you're uh, when he picked up uh, what was it Jack when they exploded the base like he literally has to slam the pilot to go faster. We don't know who that pilot was. We don't know who kicked up the gas in that shuttle. Just a faceless Cerberus grunt. In Mass Effect One, nobody dropped. It. They just dropped the Mako onto the ground. Yes. Yeah, but the suspension on that uh, thing is off the charts. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess I guess Shepard piloted that one, but I'm not so sure. It could have been just another, also another just random faceless pilot just picking you up and I dropping think, you off, being at their little. I courier. think the conceit is that Shepard is driving the Mako. But, but yes, the, the point is that Cortez Cortez feels a lot more fleshed out, and it it is interesting because, like you pointed out, he's not a main crew member. Like he's not one of the people you're bringing with on the missions. You can't you know customize him and and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, it makes sense. Like, yeah, Shepard should be talking to other people on the ship. I mean, we had the standard, uh, you know, engineering. We've had, you know, Chakwas uh, in medical. Um, you know, it makes sense to kind of add the shuttle pilot to that list of people. And yeah, they have uh, kind of an important job. I was like, is it spoiler to say that you can romance them mm. if you're a no, male? If you're a male Shepard, that was a nice addition. Like. It was. It felt uh, a lot more wholesome than sort of the weird shenanigans you could get up to with Kelly Chambers in Mass Effect. 2. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Did Kelly Chambers count as an actual romance? Like, do you get the achievement for romancing somebody in that game if you? No, I don't think so. Like, in some ways, she felt like the guinea pig for like, can, can we have Shepard hook up with other people on the ship? Mm-hmm. And then in Mass Effect Three, they were like, yes, yes, we can, and we will make it happen. But getting back to Garrus, I didn't notice this on my first playthrough, or maybe I noticed it, but like just at like a like a tokenly observational level. Um, but the deference that he draws, because you're talking to, I think it's General Corinthus, and Garrus shows up, and the general like kind of salutes him and is like, <laughs> like is, is is treating Garrus with you know with respect, and it's interesting to see like Garrus, who started out as like a you know, almost like a, a, a borderline CSEC reject. Like he was, you know, kind of on, uh, you know, on the outs with that organization to climb the ladder to the point where he's got like Turian, you know, general, like the yeah. Turian military, like adhering to his commands, uh, yeah. you know, quite the impressive climb. It's mm-hmm. also especially considering that he's a, he is a Turian and they're a very big military culture. So having general saluting up to you is a big deal for a Turian. And it makes sense, too, because at this point, he helped bring down Saren Artarius, you know, helped defend the, the Citadel against Sovereign. He, you know, defeated the Collector base, who was part of that mission. I mean, he's he's racked up the accolades right alongside Shepard. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we like to think, like, oh, yeah, like, Shepard's kind of become, like, a, you know, re- renowned as a galactic badass. I mean, Gary is, Garrus is right there with him. Yeah. And also for the fact that their entire home planet is being overrun by reapers and garris is one of the only turians they have besides Saren, who's now dead who has any interaction or knowledge of reapers but that's the same thing though like i mean because because after you bring garris onto the normandy he talks about this a little bit um that they you know that they like they gave him a task force and and then like now like oh crap the reapers are here like yeah we're gonna like we need your expertise but it's like you know, like what do you like? What do you know about the Reapers? Really, like, don't get too close to them because you're going to get indoctrinated, and they're massive, and you can't really shoot them. I mean, you you know, you need big guns. Yeah, <laughs> yes, like yes, lots of big guns. Yeah, but even so, you're they're probably looking for any resource they can get. They're like, I don't give a shit if you know anything. We are screwed right now. I, I think say, it's, like, they, they, it's like more psychological. Like, oh, this guy has faced off, you know, on the front lines against a Reaper and won in the form of Sovereign, and you know, been on, been in the fight the whole time. So people under him can look and say, like, oh, that's Garrus. He's been there since the beginning. It makes it feel like it's more possible than it is currently. Right. Yeah. 
Like they don't know the, the grunts that work for Garrus don't know that Garrus, you know, is kind of flying blind too. So as long as he keeps his mouth shut about it, which of course he won't because he's Garrus, but you know, in theory, it could work well. Yeah, it's kind of well, like most things. Ha- it's like a lot of us bullshit our way through. Hope our subordinates don't realize we don't know what we're doing. We're just making up as we go, and things well, work he, out. He does basically say that to Shepard when they're back on the Normandy. He says, "You know, look at us, like you know, just like you know, a few years ago, we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, making it up as we go along, and now here we are, all respectable and doing it on the up and up." <laughs> and he's right. He's right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I so still think it, they're making it, up as they go. Well, but but that's the, that's like the big secret is you're always making it up as you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's Maybe it's terrible. a little bit easier to make it up as you go along, but you're still just making it up as you go along. Absolutely. But so it is interesting too that right as you get Garrus in your party, uh, you do get a message from the the Normandy that it's the ship's kind of going weird, and so of course, and at least in my playthrough, because I, I had Liara and uh, James with me, I think I, th- I think you have to bring those two, right? Or or, no, or, you, or you can you can you bring if you have somebody else, can you bring somebody else on this mission? Uh, you can bring Javik. Okay. We'll no, you can, you can we'll not bring Javik. Or can you not mission. bring Javik? Okay. This is one of the few missions. You can pick up Javik before this mission, but for some reason, like, I guess the chronology, oh. the game doesn't allow you to bring him on here. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. That makes sense because if you, if you, if you were, could bring him, then... You wouldn't have Liara sit. Or you wouldn't necessarily have Liara because you could theoretically have James and Javik, and then who's going to sit there and say, "Oh, hey, we know, we know Garrus on Palavin watching." You know, as they're watching Pal- Palavin. Yeah, play. like you need yeah. to be able to. You, you need Liara, hmm. and even then, James has some dialogue too. Like, there's a lot of uh, you know, very specific dialogue because even then, James watching Palavin get blown up, he does comment a little bit comparing that to you know Earth getting blown up a little bit. Yeah, and this is Earth getting blown up really sucks, but this right now, as specified, is. The Turian home planet, which is supposed to be the galaxy's strongest military, they're usually using the military fleet. It is getting decimated. Yes. And they're losing like how many men? They're like, like tons of men. Right. Which right. also, is it weird where they call them men when they're technically not humans? But eh. I assume that's just the, the translation. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, like the automated translation in your, in your Omni tool. Unless, I guess it does that for unless you. Unless we want to yeah. believe. Does Garrus and Liara actually speak English? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I think they cover this. Like, there's just automatic translations. Uh, I feel like there is, like, a galactic common that everybody actually speaks, but there's also just, like, um, automatic trans Like, Babelfish, basically. Omnitool Babelfish. There, yeah, there would have to be. Yeah. But, no, so as I was saying, though, I do find it convenient that as you get to, you know, when Garrus is going to join your team, that you get a radio from the Normandy that, oh, hey, we're having problems on the Normandy. Somebody's got to come back. And so you, you conveniently <laughs> send, uh, I believe it's Liara you get sent to send back. Like, hey, go back to the ship just so we can make make room in our party so we can bring one more in. And then you get uh, Garrus and James the rest of the way on the mission. Yeah, I don't think, I, I think Liara is always the one who goes back also. I'm pretty sure that's correct. I don't think I always had like a... Yeah. Garrus with me because I think that's like clear up like hey Garrus now here let's go wreck some shit up well it's always Garrus but I think it's always James like I I, I don't think you yeah. can send James back maybe you can oh. and speaking of getting to wreck shit up the shit that you get to wreck up this time um I, I we, have we is this the first time we see the Marauders which yeah. are the uh, yeah yeah they're they're the 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 Reaper like Turian husk mutations um little messed up little messed up 
Yeah. I do like how like they're like the, the tendrils on the back of their head are kind of like flayed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it gives them a nice distinct profile. Um, and it makes them look a lot more sinister. Well, this is what I like about most of this game actually is like, uh, we're seeing a lot more variation of husk. It's not just human husks. Cause it, it always felt very weird that they're like, why is every husk we find human shaped? And it's got like a human like, why haven't we seen other races look at husks? Like, I get we're in like more human areas or like, but still surprised that this is our first time this game we see Batarian versions or like Torians in this one. Yeah. Well, no, but the other one that I find fascinating are the brutes. Oh, the brutes. Yeah. Which I assume those are the Krogan. Hey, I want to say you're right. I mean, I could double check on that. Cause I was, I mean, cause they have, cause I, I was actually like looking at them, like, I, I, cause I, you know, I recorded my, my gameplay for this and I'm like pausing to get like good, sh- good looks at some of them. And they, what's neat is like the, I guess where the Krogan like hump would be, it looks like they have like an open rib cage on yeah, their back. Oh, like oh. they just ripped that off and like flayed the bones out there. Here, here's here's and they what kind of have. It's a little more messed up than you think. Uh Oh, it's not just a Krogan. It's also a Turian. It's a mixture. It's a Krogan both. and a Turian? Mm-hmm. Yes. Both put together. <laughs> you can it, do that? They're Reapers. They can do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> so it's a Turkrogan. Basically. They basically use us as parts to build their their evil war, their war machines to fight us. That's messed up. So when people it, die, it's just more parts. I did think, like, the head looked like um, when you fight Saren and, like, he, like, kind of, like, mutates after you kill him the and he's got like that little like almost like a disc shaped head kind of thing i thought that like the brute head looked like that so mm-hmm. they 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 shove a turian inside a krogan yeah it's why the ribcage is kind of ripped up because basically they took the current head stuff up. and some of its feet and add to a krogan and then whatever else doesn't work they use metal that's messed up this is your future if you don't beat the reapers right mm-hmm no, just imagine like Garrus and Rex being like fused together. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be horrifying. I'd be very sad. That's pretty like, messed up. God. That would mess with Shepard very much, though. I don't think they do this, but it'd be kind of messed up if like if you if you lost both Garrus and uh, Rex, and you just see their bodies just fused together in this game to fight. They don't do, I'm pretty sure they don't do it with those characters, but there are other characters who you can run into converted into like Reaper monsters. That's fair, yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I I guess spo- that's not really a spoiler. We're talking about the end of the, the series here. So if you get Morinth, uh instead of Samara in Mass Effect 2 and she lives, I believe you can actually see her as a uh, banshee later in the game like you'll see a banshee and the banshee's name will be morinth oh yeah. wow and with the banshees it's, in case anybody's not sure it's the it's the husk version of a. Uh, well, i can't think of their name right now uh, sorry. sorry sorry thank you yeah brain farts i love i them. haven't seen those yet but i also don't have morinth on this playthrough so <laughs> um you haven't seen them yet you should no. have by now i think i would I think, don't think so. so did you do the Maybe. uh art at yakshi monastery no i have not Okay. I will get there eventually. Weird. I think I just got the... Actually, no, I don't even know I got the mission for that, but I'll, I'll get there. Mm, I gotta... Okay. feel like you should, but maybe not quite where you're at. Anyway. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. Let's stay on. Uh, stay on target. On Manet. Yeah. So, what do we think of Primark? Well, like, I mean, Fedorian's uh, dead, so we get we meet General Victus, and we basically get to tell him like, "Oh, you're, you know, like you're the you're the only guy left standing in like high command. Now you're in charge. You're the Primark, Primark Victus. What do we think of him? It's uh, fine, Primark, Corinth. Inoffensive, I guess. I you know I don't think much about him honestly. He seems like a Turian uh, who is thrust into a situation that he's not really ready for, but he's doing his best. I'm also I'm also kind of figuring like, wow. A lot of people have now died to get him into that position. It's good thing it that kinda, people... I, I don't know what it is with me in this game. It's probably all the voice actors they get from it, but it reminds me of Battlestar Galactica, where uh, you know President Roslyn was like the Secretary of Education or something. Like she was forty seventh mm-hmm. in line for this yep. succession. Like it's very much got that same energy to it. It's like that, and also like I remember they did the same thing in uh, Independence Day's Resurgence. Where, like, everybody got wiped down. It's like, oh, you're a general. You're now the president. We need to swear you in. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, shit. I don't think that ever happens. Like, I don't think that's part of the actual presidential line of succession, but that's fine. Well, I, I guess it depends, like, how far removed are you from being able to verify the line of succession? That's that, fair. Um, that, uh, you know, and that's one of the points they make is that, like, Palavin is under siege so much, like, it's possible somebody along the line of succession is actually still alive somewhere, but we have no way of being able to verify that and also getting them for, you know, this, uh, this summit that Shepard is putting together in any kind of reasonable time frame. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's you know, ma- not so much a matter of convenience, but it's just like, you know, for all intents and purposes here, where you're, you're acting, you know, Primark. If later on we find out some other dude who is ahead of you in line is still alive, you know, maybe we'll revert it back to him but yeah but like, I, don't, uh, I don't think victus seems like the type who's gonna be like no i have the power now i must hold on to it so well they're more concerned about just keeping like like some structure of command in place because like sure they they don't have the time right now with their planet burning to be like okay who actually like we don't know where this person is maybe we should wait and see if they're alive like no like okay we can verify you're alive you're here you're the closest person right now you're now the new primark congratulations yes but I find it interesting that he's another character who we meet. I feel like every, like, I've, I've said this is a recurring theme, and the reason is, is because it's recurring. Like, this is another recurrence of a character who, he's a military general, he's getting thrown into a political position, and he's very reluctant to do so, and I'm very, um, not very enthralled by the prospect of, oh, I get to be a politician now. Like, right. I'm, And even then, as far as him being a general, he's kind of regarded as a wild card of a general. They talk about... Uh, this one mission that he ran where he fell back to let, uh, you know, he fell back to let some bases get captured. And then uh, the, the forces wound up fighting some Solarians. And then once like the, they, they, the, the Solarians and the, the enemy forces kind of, you know, wore each other down, then he moved in and took them out. And they were like, well, he didn't lose any men doing that, even though it was an unconventional strategy. See, that's yeah, that's but- why he seems like a good fit. Yeah, he cares about his people. He cares about his men. Like he does not like to just throw them into the meat grinder and have them just like just whittle people down that way. He tried to like think tactically, use their numerical advantage, like use it correctly. Right. But and like, I think yep, go ahead. against a superior force like the Reapers, you need to be kind of unconventional in your methods because you can't just run at them. Yeah, like I think like they pointed out here, like all their methods that they usually use are just just gone. 
The Reapers mm-hmm, are using right. what they usually, Turians usually, they have superior force is how they usually win their battles, just overwhelming force. This time, oh, someone else is doing that and doing it better. Even then, he's the one who's like, we need the Krogan. He's like, we're not going to be able to survive this. Like, we need the Krogan on the front lines. Like, mm-hmm. let's go get the Krogan. Which I find it funny because it's like, that's like the 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 Turian standard, like, push button in case of emergency. Like, are you losing a war? Get the Krogan. Like, break glass. Get the Krogan in here. And let, let them do your dirty work. You need shock troops. Like, that's Krogan are pretty good at that. Yeah, like, right. like throughout this game series, you've seen the Krogan be a very effective fighting force. Like, whenever, like oh, one, yeah. of, one of the toughest things you usually fight on the field is a Krogan battle. Krogan come on the field, like, oh, well, they got shields, they got barriers. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, they are. Uh, yeah, they are not fun to face. And even then, like going back to the brutes who are modified Krogan and Turian, like they are not fun to face. They hurt. <laughs> they do. Mm. They do. I think I ran up and tried to punch one, and it didn't go well. <laughs> like, oh, really? Really? Um, really? Try to punch it. <laughs> I've I've killed them by punching them before, but oh yeah, yeah, I have. But the first time, it just uh, I didn't didn't really think it through. But like <laughs> Vanguard is punch really back. broken. They do yes. punch back, but Vanguard is really broken in this game. So uh, I face to face them kind of a lot. Yeah, they are. That and especially too, because you 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 meet the first brute, and then like right after that, like then you get like okay, now here's two of them at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's just like oh come on, <laughs> uh, that the first time I did that encounter, it it kicked my ass. Like I I don't remember if I died or just came really close, but I remember getting out of there like oh damn, that was hard. Yeah, because you try and like put distance between you and maybe one of them, uh, and then you kind of turn around, and you want to do something with it, and the second one comes charging in and just like swipes you and sends you packing. So. That's yeah. a good fight. Yeah, they. I mean, that's the one thing I think that Palavin or, or Manet does very well is just the the combat. I mean, you you get onto the planet one, you have the backdrop of mm-hmm. Palavin burning, um, which is incredibly scenic, and I'm so glad they put photo mode in because that's one of those shots that um, I, I had to take. Is you know, it's, it's like it's like the planet is burning. I'm standing there like taking a selfie with like James and Liara, like hey, everybody. <laughs> But yeah, and that's actually kind of amusing when you mentioned the fire because uh, Karis points out like a big spot of fire over there. That's where I was born. It's like, yeah, oh, oh no, <laughs> yeah. Liara even I think later on uh, talks about um, how uh, she was being hit on by a Turian once, and he was like, "Oh, you should come see these mountains on uh, Palavin." And she's like, "Yeah, I, I saw the mountains burning from there." Like that, yeah. Like you know, it, it's it, you know, it goes from like a, a memory of of. Uh, you know, of a flirtation now to being a little bit sad because, like, oh yeah, like the, what the flirtation was over is now ruined. destroyed. The beauty has been yeah. ruined. But so you get onto the the moon here, and yet, I mean, Palavin is you know Palavin's burning. You you see the little dots of, of fire, presumably where like the major centers are, and then also you've got Reapers in the background, like in the distance, like you're fighting in the shadow of the Reaper, basically. Um, you know, there's at least two of them. I think you see one, and then you can turn around and look the other way and see the other. And there might be a third one, depending on what angle you're looking at. But yeah, and we're just um, ants fighting below them. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's to the Turians' credit that they're putting up any kind of resistance at all against that. Because you look at those reap, like how you're not stopping either of those things. It's, you know, maybe maybe it's not even the Turians' credit. Maybe it's just the Reapers are kind of slow and they're just systematically working their way over there and they haven't gotten there yet. But well, I don't know. That actually is what the Reapers do. They they don't feel the need to rush. They have 
time on their hand. They are going to take as much time. Like, sure, you might try to put a resistance. Like, we're going to eventually going to win. Is like their method. Their their philosophy. But yeah, so you're 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 fighting there, and then they just they do a good job of throwing. I mean, husks, and as we said, marauders, and then you get the three brutes that you have to fight. Uh, in, in you know in, in sequence, uh, and then you have the one spot where there's a you have the turret you can get on, and you can shoot with the turret to to pick them off. Um, so overall, it's a it's a good because this this feels like you know I mean as much as you got to you know like have combat on uh, on Mars, like this is really where it's like okay, like kind of like really stretch your legs with the combat, and we're gonna really throw some stuff at you here. Um, you know, Mars, we were still kind of Mars. You were moving through like the buildings and kind of going mm-hmm. room to room. This is just sort of open. You know, we've got your little rock formations for cover and you've got your little like ledges that you're going to be going up and down. Uh, but it's a lot more open here where it's just like, I mean, even then they have the one part where um, you have to pick whether you want the R and James to go up on the communications tower. And then the other one, you know, you're just kind of defending it against the, the incoming husks, like a little horde mode scenario. Um, so they, that, yeah, I feel like they're like this is really like okay, like we're you know we're gonna stretch our, our legs on the combat. You really let you feel this is how the combat's gonna be in this game going forward. We're gonna kind of you know put you through your paces here. Yeah, the, the combat scaling, like the combat in this game, is the best of the series by far, uh, and they it, it shows here like as they keep scaling and bringing in better challenges. So overall, then I think everything is pretty straightforward. There we get Garrus. We pick up the Primarch, so now he's going to hang out in our little war room on the Normandy, and Garrus, of course, goes to the battery. You gotta calibrate those guns, man. They make jokes about that. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it? You get on board, and then you talk to uh, you talk to the the Primarch, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I was talking to Garrus." He's like, "Oh sorry, I got to leave and go calibrate the guns." And then you go talk to Joker, and Joker's the same thing. What is like? Is is Garrus calibrating the guns again? (laughs) Like they. I mean, they 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 know it's a joke, and they they lean into it. So I mean, that's that's great. Yeah, I um, think I think it's mostly a stress relief for Garrus. Like, I got to get get some do something. Yeah, he not. says he says as much. Yeah, yeah, because Shepard walks up on him, and he's like, "Hey, he's like, are you, you know, he's, he's like, what, got right to work?" And he's like, "Yeah, I just need I need to keep something to focus on. Otherwise, I think about how overwhelming what we're doing." Is. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is where they introduce this mechanic of the game where you will, spoiler alert, this is not the first time you're going to pick up randos and have them hanging out in the war room to talk to. Uh, yes. What did you, what did y'all think about this? Good addition, bad? Because there's nothing like this in Mass Effect 2, I don't think. like There's never really a time where you pick up a rando and you can hang out with them for a while. In Mass Effect 1, you can very, very briefly uh, pick up uh, Major Kirahi and and his squad, and they're like in your cargo hold. If you talk to, and you can go talk to them, but that's I think the only instance I can think of. Yeah, right. and then they they leave at the next stop you make. Yeah, which what do you think? I, I thought it was fine. I liked I like talking to the Prime Mark here. It's nice talking, like getting a little more his more perspective on how everything's going. And have and have too much more. It's like I do like when you end in every end the conversation. It's like it's like I wish you the best. I wish you the best for Palavin. I wish you the best for. Earth. I have to say, like, kind of piggybacking off what I said earlier about the, uh, like, the shuttle sequences, how, like, they've added, it adds narrative weight. It's the same thing now. Like, you have this room, and I, I kind of 
the war room doesn't become obvious for what it is until like halfway through the game when you you're like, okay, now I see the pattern. Now I see how they're repeatedly using it because at first you get a few people in there right. and you're like, okay. And, and you're kind of thinking like, are these people just here forever? Like is, is this is the Primarch just hanging out on the ship forever? And eventually he does leave and then some of the other people leave and then you get new people in there as you know, the mission parameters kind of, you know, change around you. And it, I mean, it's all, I, I think it's awesome. It makes sense. You should be like ferrying people around a little bit. It's a little bit silly that they're there. Like the Primarch is kind of stuck there. We're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for my summit and you're off, you know, doing something over like Grissom Academy or something. Yeah. Like, okay, that's a little bit awkward, but putting that aside, um, you know, I think it's a great use of the space. It's a, it, it, you know, because on the other hand too, it gives you the opportunity to have these characters interactable repeatedly without having to say, go back to Manet, go back to the Citadel all the time. Um, and also saving us time. Right. Well, it like right. and expands it also, the cast of who you can interact with at like various story moments. Right. Because it's, it's not like, okay, I got the prime arc and now he's in the cargo bay and he's always going to be in the cargo bay. And even though I really only need to talk to him for like the first third of the game, he'll be there forever. And then like, once I've run through his dialogue, then it's just going to be like, Hey, let's go have some drinks on the Citadel. Every time I talk to him that mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it, it makes the, sh- it makes the ship overall feel more dynamic. Mm-hmm. We're um, alive. Well, one other thing I want to mention that I don't think we're at that point yet, but they start moving the people, your, your squad mates around the ship that you'll go to talk to somebody in, a, in the room that they're supposed to be in. And they're not there. And the first time that that happens is a bit jarring. Cause you're like, wait, like, you know, I'm, I came to talk to this guy. He's not here. And then later on, you find him somewhere else on the ship and like, they're using the ship. They're like, actually like, you know, in the different places with different resources. Um, you know, it, it, it makes the ship feel more alive. It makes them feel more alive because, you know, y- you look again at, at mass effect two and like Zaid is standing in the same spot every time. And it's like, you know, he moves around that room. <laughs> And, you know, and, and for the sake of like video game abstraction, we just kind of accept like, okay, that's Zaid's spot. That's where he is. But, yeah. You know, you know, but th- this it's, you know, you go there and they are in all different places and it's, it really, I mean, and, and the, the best part too, is that it leads to other interactions between the characters that you wouldn't necessarily see. And we'll get to those when we get to them, because they, uh, in particular, there's one interaction I just saw. Um, the other day that I, I couldn't believe that I, I can't wait to talk about it, but, um, you, you know, it's, 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 they do, they really sat down and I think thought about the Normandy as a, a space for living mm-hmm. and how they could approach that as opposed to just like, okay, it's like a quest hub with, you know, your party here and you need to go and hit them all in sequence. I mean, that's one of the best parts of seeing the evolution of this game of going from, you know, mass effect one, where, you know, Caden's in the same spot, Ashley's in the same spot, Rex is in the same spot too. Okay. Like everybody kind of has their space, but they move around and they interact. And even within the same space that, you know, Garrus isn't always at the console for the battery. When you go in there the first time, he's actually like down the battery, actually, you know, doing some kind of maintenance on the battery itself. Yeah, he's actually going to go down and talk to him. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 very well done. It's very well done. And I, 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 to me, that that's one of my favorite additions to the game. That it really makes the Normandy feel like a living ship, and more importantly, it feel you know like like the crew is like a living crew. Yeah, because you also like I do like the fact that you see there's also random crewmates also moving and doing stuff in the ship, 
the shit feels like crowded right now because like I like the other games like it felt like people were just in their certain spots so I feel like you go wherever you want here it's not like there's, everywhere you go there's going to be somebody there because you know it's a ship there's going to be people everywhere makes mm-hmm. more sense I, I was saying though the one interaction that I want to have is when you go into like the men's room and you catch somebody like coming out of the men's room or something like just to, <laughs> like <laughs> did you wash your hands exactly yeah. that should be the first line of dialogue <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, as a father of a six-year-old, yeah, that 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 question hits a little too close to home. <laughs> uh, but but speaking, so we're, we're, you get back on the Normandy, and you know you get to talk to Pro, the Primarch, you get to talk to Garrus, and the conversation with Garrus is is awesome because on the one hand, as we kind of alluded to earlier, he mentions that you know the the Turians they gave him. Uh, you know, his own task force, his Reaper task force, and he was able to at least get like extra resources out to some of the colonies and kind of beef up some of their security here and there, you know, and he even says like, if, if it actually makes a difference, like we won't know till all this is over, but I like to think it helped. Um, so he was able to do that in that role. But the other part of that conversation is frankly, one of my favorite things is that like, cause Garris, Garris and Liara at this point are like the two people on board that Shepard trusts the most. Mm -hmm. And they're like the two people on board right now that he will let his guard down with and kind of like, honestly, like be like, okay, like, you know, we're in over our heads here. How are we doing? And I think Liara is a bit more. Yeah. We're probably kind of screwed. Like Garrus is actually, you know, like if, if we, like if we can, you know, keep our heads straight, we can do this. Like Garrus is actually a bit optimistic in that regard. And Garrus, but the other thing is like Garrus is actually watching out for Shepard. Like there are several times and it kind of happens here where he's like, Hey, how are you doing? You just went through some harrowing stuff. And he asks him like, you know, like how did, you know, like Palavin is messed up. How did you do with earth? And Shepard tells him like, yeah, I saw like a seven-year-old kid get blown up. (laughs) And to me, like that, like that, like I felt stressed out about having seen that. And so when Shepard unburdens that to Garrus, like that felt like I, like the weight was lifted off me. Mm. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Shepard for addressing that. Uh, and like talking about that with Garrus, because, you know, even in the, the, I think the last episode we were talking about, like James is like, what are you like a, you know, like a psychiatrist? Are you here to like, you know, like you know, evaluate me and, and get me to, you know, like let all my burdens out or whatever. And, and, and I was jokingly like, yeah, that's how this works. Like Shepard is kind of the crew psychiatrist. Like Shepard needs somebody too. <laughs> Shepard needs, uh, Shepard needs a Shepard to go to, to, to unburden. So it was good to see like Garrus kind of taking that role on for Shepard to be like, look, you know, like talk about your, talk about your trauma. I think Shepard's trauma is a major theme in this game that, um, I think Shepard even points out on uh, one of the missions, like it's only been three years. Like, you know, I, I, I'm a little disappointed because what this is, this came out 2012. The first one came out in 20, 20, 2007. So it's been like five years for anybody playing it. But, um, you know, in game, in game time, Shepard was dead for two years. And then it was like six months between the other games. So it's been about three years since Mass Effect 1. Um, you know, that's a lot to go through, yeah. especially being dead for two of those years. Yeah. So it's, I'm, it's good to see Shepard, you know, like somebody being worried about Shepard's well-being, making sure like, hey, you know, you're, you know, you're doing well. Everything's going well for you. Right. Also, like, about one thing we might have talked about before. Game came out in 2007. Sequel came out in 2010. Third one comes out in 2012. These are pretty good games. We really have that much more development time in between them. Mm-hmm. Just saying. But. Also, while you're it was like listening to y'all talk right there, it's like one thing that's kind of interesting. Like, 
Why is like I think it's interesting that Liara how she's changed from Mass Effect One to Mass Effect Three. She became like more pessimistic, and Garrus she became more optimistic. Or if like Garrus was very pessimistic in the first game. Yeah, I think that's true. He definitely. I think that's like your impact on Garrus is is sort of making him less uh, sort of surly and defeatist. But why the absolute opposite seem to happen to Liara? Because she seems to be like, well, things are probably screwed. I I just assume she see, she's seen some really messed up stuff as a shadow broker. Yeah, yes. Like her worldview is expanded. Yeah. And it's basically like she's on Twitter. And so she can just see all <laughs> the tweets from everybody just suffering. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I need to step back. God, I kind of want to see space what, what space Twitter's doing right now oh, during God, these no. time frames. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. Actually, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need that. I don't. I've seen. I've seen what they do in like Madden or or FIFA. They have like you know the fake Twitter that just dunks on you when you're bad. I don't need that. But you know, for the galaxy being destroyed. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. I haven't played oh, yeah. uh, Madden FIFA since like 2005. So it's been a bit. Actually, it's telling that there's no Twitter in Mass Effect because I feel like maybe like with the advent of like, uh, oh, when like they discovered like Ezo and the Mass Effect core, they realized like, oh, yeah, you know, Twitter's bad for us. We don't need that. <laughs> no, I think they, they probably haven't existed. We just don't get to see it too much. Or at least Shepard's off Twitter. Shepard knows better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yeah. Shepard is a productive member of society. And so, you know, yeah. doesn't use Twitter because there is the space Internet here. So that is true. That is true. We still get space spam in our emails. Yes. But uh, so speaking of networks and networked objects, mm -hmm. um, we do have another strange encounter uh, on the Normandy once we get back. As I mentioned, uh, Joker radios down that there's some weird stuff going on on the ship. So Liara heads back. Uh, then once again, like the power starts cutting out and there's a, a fire in the AI core uh, that Shepard has to go take care of. Uh, so you go down in there and it turns out that uh, that's where you stored the body of Dr. Ava Corre, the uh, Cer Cerberus robot that beat up Caden or Ashley. Um, and now it's walking around again, and Edie is taking it over. <laughs> well, a, par a part of Edie's taking it over. Well, I mean, a part of Edie is, like, using it. But, yeah, I mean, Edie's, Edie's running the show. Edie got in there, mm -hmm. basically, uh, you know, the, 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 the robot was trying to hack into the ship, and the ship actually hacked back and just took it over right and now Edie has a body is kind of the gist here and Edie has a uh if you listen to several of the crew members a sexy hot robot body mm -hmm. yes yes absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean well, objectively that is what they did um yeah the best part is like when when they debut her you have the uh you know because you have the shepherd gets into the a cart a core and he's got two like uh you know two soldiers with uh fire extinguishers with him and so the room is full of fire extinguisher smoke. And then Edie walks out and it focuses on her feet walking out first, almost like a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see that. I mean, they're kind of yeah, like focus on, so. uh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you get Edie standing there and, and then you get your dialogue where Shepard's like, what's going on? And Edie explains why, she, what's going on and how she took over the body and, and whatnot. Now I mean, she it's can great. Her, she can fix herself now. Yeah, I mean, it's great that Edie's like a member of the crew now because it, it. Well, you know, I guess I don't know. We're, I mean, disembodied voices like they weren't that unusual previously. I mean, this actually would have been right around the same time as like 
you know, like Iron Man, like Jarvis mm-hmm. being, uh, you know, Paul mm-hmm. Bettany's disembodied voice. Um, you know, so it's not it's not that unusual, but it's I, it, I guess ultimately, you know, just like Jar, you know, just like Jarvis beget Vision, like Edie right. needed to have a physical form to actually become interact, you know, that we could interact with. Yeah, and also just so. kind of cool just to have like, hey, instead of you just having to comment on things, you can help fight and shoot things. Right. Like I was not, I w- going into this game. I was not expecting Edie to become a party member. No, yeah. <laughs> neither, neither. I don't think anyone really did. Like that was not an obvious. Like yeah, yeah, Edie party member. We probably like what? Did you just gonna become the ship, just gonna fly behind you and shoot everything. That would be pretty cool too, though. Well, it speaks to Edie's power. I mean, I mean, again, I think we kind of talked about comparing her to the Geth, and whereas like, you know, like the Geth are all, you know, like it takes like you know a thousand of Geth can fit into one body. Like Edie here basically has two bodies. I mean, if you think about the Normandy, and there's actually a discussion in engineering about like. Does the Normandy count as Edie's body, or is, uh, you know, is it just the robot that's Edie's body? Um, Sorry, I was gonna say like it'd be interesting also because like fact that she can walk around now inside of her ship body, and just right. like be just like imagine trying to walk around your own body inside the house. So that's what this looks like. Like it is, it is weird on like some like metaphysical levels to think mm-hmm. about. Like she's inside herself as a consciousness. Like so, but. You, you know, I mean, obviously she has cameras all over the ship to be able to see things and sensors to detect stuff. And then also she's, you know, it looks like Dr. Ava, like that body has eyes and, you know, like a, a representation of a mouth, at least like, you know, she comes across as human. Right. Um, or, or, you know, you know, or, you know, at least a humanoid Android at best. Um, it's so it is, it is fascinating from that regard. I just, I don't know. I just, it's, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to shake your head. Like, of course, like, like, they couldn't just give her, like, oh, like, you know, like, they could have put her in, like, a, a, you know, maybe they could have gotten, like, a, a Geth or something they could have thrown her in. Um, would have been a little bit reminiscent of Legion in some ways, but, you know, they they, they they could have given her, like, any robot body, basically. They chose to give her hot Cerberus scientist robot body. Yeah. I think there's a theme, that, a theme in the game of making things hot. Yeah. It is a game full of, well, it's mostly attractive people, the humans, anyway. Uh... Well, you're saying Garrus isn't is attractive? I wouldn't know. I mean, I honestly wouldn't know. Um, sure, yes. A lot of people think he is. Uh, he's certainly got his fair share of body pillows. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't like. I read. I actually read an article talking about this. I don't know why. A week or two ago, and and they were not kind of happy with the presentation. And to some extent, I get it because like it taking Edie and being like, we're going to put you in a hypersexualized robot body instead of, you know, literally anything else. It kind of makes you, or it, it can make you take the character a little less seriously. I know I can agree with that. I feel like it kind of detracts a little bit when it just, it's like this did feel necessary. Like I feel like it kind of forced on the same way like where Ashley came back in this game was highly attractive over like her previous forms. Like it's like, not highly like more sexualized, less of the track. Like, yeah yeah i mean ashley comes back as as in like i don't know sort of like combat glam like she had, did one of those you know sort of extreme makeover things I, it's weird you know and I we talked about this before but it, it's weird to me the way she comes back it's like this is not in keeping with her character mm-hmm. uh Edie, at least i guess who cares and there's some rationale for like, you know, why did Cerberus make this person this way? Well, you know, they, they used the sexualization to 
aid in infiltration and intel gathering and that's like that's not completely bogus i mean it's it's not dumb sounds valid at least yeah i I does it doesn't bother me personally but i can see where it would be i definitely had the thought when i first picked up ed like huh yeah they really uh made this just as ridiculous as possible my girlfriend at the time i recall was also uh annoyed by like why are you wandering around with like what's with all these like you know, form-fitting, skin-tight armors on all your, you know, female uh, squad mates, and why do you always use them in your party? And it was like, well, I don't know. I like Liara, and Edie's got good tech. Sorry. I've actually never yes. considered most, most of it like that. That's actually a fair point. Why are most of their outfits skin-tight? Yeah, right. Like, you know, and it's it's a pretty common complaint, especially from this era of in particular like 3D gaming is it got it got really intense for a while and i feel like the industry is getting better with what its representation is mm. these days but this was getting i'm saying getting better it's not all there but you know i mean you've at least got you know your horizons and your uh, uh boy why am i drawing a blank on this game i love it but anyway yeah i mean you know um it's it's getting better trying to at least I think it like has it has some cycles where it sometimes gets really bad and then gets better. Yeah. No, there there is a strong male gaze in Mass Effect. And oh yeah. Even then, like I mean, in Mass Effect Two in particular, I mean, it was one of the controversies when the Legendary Edition was coming out was that some of the butt shots for Miranda there were so got taken many. out, and they were like because they don't they didn't fit the conversation at the time. They were bad. Um, like I, re- I even when I and like I like looking at beautiful women. There, I said it. I'm not embarrassed. Uh, but I remember like playing it at the time and there would just be like this super gratuitous ass shot of Miranda while she was, you know, spilling her guts over like her struggle with being genetically modified and the expectations she had on herself. And I was just like, this sucks. Does it doesn't match up with the narrative. Like why is like, it's okay for be attractive, but sometimes it feels like it's a little too much. Like. It's we can yeah. It doesn't it doesn't add to the story? Like it's just kind of just there. It takes away from it. It like it makes it like those particularly those. I, and I don't feel like this about Edie, but like those Miranda, uh, you know, gratuitous butt shots of of super skin tight outfit was just like this is not. It it it's taking me out of the moment because I'm just like I, it's funny is not the right word, but yeah, it's it's ridiculous is what it is. Um, I feel like Edie though. This is more in line with her character. Like she is all about sort of subterfuge and kind of being sneaky. Uh, I mean, that's there's like an underlying tone of that through uh, or an undertone of that through her character throughout the the two games is like she's sneaky. Like she doesn't tell you, hey, I'm probing this weird body in the first place. Like you don't even know that this is going down. And then all of a sudden she's got a basically a, a body for infiltration. I think she even says as much. Yeah. Right. He, he does a lot of, a lot, lot of, uh, I'm going to do this now and, uh, ask for forgiveness later. Or you're not even <laughs> forgiveness. Like, yeah, I did this. What you got to do about it? Yeah. It's like, it's over Shepard. You know, it's fine. It's over. So, well, the, well, the, the one character, I mean, cause the, the one joke in mass effect two is like, Oh, like, you know, like Edie and, and Joker, are kind of like a married couple. Like at first they kind of resent each other and mm-hmm. then they start to get along and then they, they, you know, they really, you know, start to, you know, work together as a team. And now like you kind of have the actual physical opportunity for them to, yeah, you, you know, do. kind of like take, kind of go in that direction. <laughs> um, and we'll get to that as the game progresses, but uh, yeah, it's, it, 
it is kind of funny because even then, like Edie like approaches Shepard, she's like, you know, like Joker's asking me questions that I don't know how to respond to. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and even Joker is is kind of um you know, he's he's kinda you know distracted by her, uh for for lack of a better euphemism. Uh what's it Donnelly it, down in engineering oh, has God. some words for Edie too. Like it definitely oh. So like I you know, it's weird because I I thought the Miranda stuff was really gratuitous in Mass Effect 2. The Edie didn't bother me, but I can see where it would not sit right with somebody, and I think that's a pretty valid opinion to have, because it is definitely on the on the side of, you know, gratuitous skin tight robot clothes right like it's 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 kind of like a lot it's it's just funny that like the standard like the horn dogs of the crew Mm -hmm. all like bite for it all line up yeah i mean donnelly i I, I mean donnelly being the biggest horn dog of all (laughs) Uh, you know you know and so you know to a degree you can't fault him because like that's like that's in line with his character you know as flawed as his character may be in that regard but um, but even you know Joker, you know, makes some comments, and uh, there's if, a Caden's around. Caden freaking says stuff. <laughs> we are terrible. This is a scene where you're talking to Joker, and he's like framing up a picture of her, like as you talk to him, like he kind of sits back and he's like holding his hands up. You know what I mean? Uh, and just being like, "Scope this," and it's like, "All right, dude, I get it." Ah, uh, Joker. But I'm looking yeah. at like looking at her alpha right here on some of her skins. Most of them, for some reason. Seem to have a chest window on her. It's like it's a robot body. Why does it have some, like it's supposed to look like clothes, but it's like the the way it's painted just like just focuses on her chest. I'm like that's kind of weird. Like there's, I know it's a trace of yeah. robot, but it's, it's just a little odd. Uh, there's there's a it's a fairly vulgar expression for the um sort of you know waist area. Uh, she definitely got that going on too, though. And it's like, why? How? You're a robot. You don't what? <laughs> I mean, all right, you know, we're we're already getting an e tag for this. She's got camel toe. She does uh-huh. have camel. Uh-huh. She does have camel toe, and I I am not the like yeah. Off the. It's just like why? That, yeah, yeah. I can't even come up with like a joke for that because no. like, it just feels wildly inappropriate. Like. Yeah, I know. That's why I was like, I didn't even want to say no, it. Like, just like, yeah, I just have to. It just is what it is. Like, hey, Bioware, you probably didn't need to do that, man. That's that's rough, yeah. 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 It, one interesting thing about this, at least, is like a little bit of the design is is from the... They based it off of the, the robot from Metropolis, that old 1927s film that I was pretty mm-hmm. fond of as a kid. Well, the other nice thing about this is that I mean, you kind of got to bring Edie with you previously. Like, I mean, at least she was usually within radio contact. Um you know, like, you know, assuming like there wasn't like you're on a mission where like, oh, communication to the Normandy is down. Like, you know, normally like Edie could always like radio in and be like, Shepard, I have information for you. Um, but now you actually get to bring her along like as a proper crew member. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're going on missions like, you know, like, the you know, again, like talking about uh, I think on the next mission where we're going to, you know, go to Eden Prime. Um, you know, if you bring Edie on that, she has information, you know, like she's part of the crew talking to, with Shepard in the shuttle, um, you know, providing information. Um, so it's it is nice to have her in that capacity. It, it does make her, I mean, she literally is a party member. Yeah. So it makes her feel right. like more of a, an actual person that you're interacting with as opposed to just, you know, like a disembodied AI that you're communicating mm-hmm. with on the ship. Yeah. It makes her feel like more part of, I mean, she's more part of your squad cause she's, you know, going out with you on missions. There are a handful of instances where if you put her in your squad, 
you'll still get her radio voice. It's it's bizarre, but yeah. Yeah. She'll intercom you even though she's right next to you. Mm-hmm. As if she, she's forgotten to, which voice she's talking out of. Well, I wonder if that's not some sort of, I mean, not that she's like splitting her consciousness necessarily, but maybe it's just like she's multitasking. And so like the part of her that's working on whatever she needs to communicate you with kind of forgot that, oh, I could just talk right here. That is possible. Not really sure. But yeah, I think, I think that's going to wrap us up here. I don't think we have anything else to say about Edie, do we? Or Garrus or anyone else on the ship? Not currently. The only thing I wonder about is why does she have goggles? Like, why does she need a visor? I think. Well, I mean, if you if you look at her, I think it, what that basically like it was like the cover of Doctor Ava Corey, like whatever little like fake skin they had on her to make her look human, like that all burned away. And I guess the goggles were part of that appearance, but they didn't burn away. They were yeah, because you're right. Like, why couldn't why couldn't that tech just be internal to her? Her, uh, her her robot eyes, eye camera, yeah, her robot eyes. It's a good question, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah it's it gives good. her personality. I think she had plenty of personality before. <laughs> Men like robot chicks with glasses. That's fair. Sure. So on that note, let's go ahead and wrap this up here. Thank you to Jarrett for producing and editing. Thank you for downloading and listening. We are at Squad Goals N Seven on Twitter, also at the Mash Network. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash/MashThoseButtons. Also, YouTube at YouTube.com slash mash those buttons. Chip, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch. Uh, my handle is at WD. That's where double Y-E-W-D-E-E. And here on the MASH Network on Wondrous Tales, where every two weeks we talk about Final Fantasy fourteen and all the various things that happen there. Kuro, where can folks find you? Nowhere and everywhere, but mostly you can find me on Twitter at Kurabaris, K-U-R-A-B-A-R-S. Or on twitch.tv slash Kurabara when I'm not a slave away at my job. And you can also find me occasionally talking about Apex Legends on our Apex show, Dropping Spicy. And you can follow us at Dropping Spicy. And uh, what about you, Nick? Got anything cool you do? I am at WookieBH on Twitter. You can also find me here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on WoW Talk, talking about Warcraft news and guild management, and also over on the Torn and the Goblin, talking about Warcraft story and lore. Join the Mash Those Buttons community on Discord at mash.gg slash Discord and email us your thoughts or questions. Let us know what you think about Garrus and Edie at squadgoals at mash.gg. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can. And visit mtb.gg slash support to see all the ways you can support Mash Those Buttons and all our great podcasts, including on Patreon, where you can support this show by joining Squad Goals membership at $1.25 per episode or $5 per month, or you can up provide general support for $2 per month. And you can also check out our Humble Bundle affiliate link where you can get codes for Steam, Epic Game Store, You Play and More, or check out our PayPal one-time donation link over at mtv.gg support. Stay tuned to hear about other shows on the Mesh Those Buttons Network. For Chip and Kura, I'm Nick, and I should go. See you, Commander. This is my favorite robot girl on the station. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. 
If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashLoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at Twitter.com slash The Mash Network, Facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at Mash.gg slash Discord. 